Welcome to the Ridge University Podcast, a place to listen, learn, and discover tools for living. Now here's your host, Ridge Director of Discipleship, Will Heron. Well, welcome everyone to the Ridge University Podcast. My name is Julie Weeman, and I'm going to be your host for this series as we explore a topic called Caring for Aging Parents. Now, many of you, for you, this is a very present reality because you may be in the midst of caring for aging parents, or maybe what drew you to this series was the fact that you'll be looking at that in the near future. I'm going to share just a little bit about my interest in this topic. It came from caring for my elderly mother for a short period of time. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's in her early 70s, and about four years prior to her death, her health started to decline significantly. I was fortunate because I had three siblings, and so my siblings and I were faced with a lot of difficult decisions, decisions that we didn't always agree upon, um, and they were decisions that were accelerated during a season when COVID restrictions were really high, and she didn't want to be put into a care center, and we didn't want her to go into a care center. So we took her into our home. Really, it was apparent that she couldn't be on her own any longer. It was a really hard decision because that was not her first choice. She wanted to be in her home. And so what ensued was a lot of praying, oftentimes tears, disagreement with both her and with my siblings, and eventually a gradual progression of moving her from her home into our home and then eventually into assisted living for a short stint and then in her last several months at care center. So many of you who are listening are going, yep, I get it. Many of you are listening, who are listening are in the middle of those types of discussions right now, and you know that it's hard and exhausting, and you also know that sometimes we need to talk to other people. So you know that this is a relevant topic. My guest today is Christina Goble. Christina is a medical doctor. She's a friend from here at the Ridge, and she was very helpful to me when we came to a place of wondering how many times we were going to have to put her in and out of the hospital. So, Christina, welcome. Hello. Hi. I'm so glad that you're here today. This is a little different, right? Being on a microphone, you're usually with uh, probably a little computer and laptop talking to people and in a room. Face-to-face, yes. <laughs> Face-to-face, yeah. Mm-hmm. So first of all, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, and maybe a, a short personal story if you have one about why you think this is an important topic. Yes, definitely. I was born in Germany and I went to medical school there. About seven, 27 years ago, I moved to the U.S. and I passed the American medical exams here and then went to through training as a family medicine physician. At first, I worked in a doctor's office in a small town for about four years. But for the last 16 years, I've worked exclusively in ERs, mainly in small towns. And working in small town ERs, I repeatedly meet older people with increased health challenges and then their families. And the decision about staying home or moving to a more supported living situation are not easy at all. Mm. On a more personal level, about 10 years ago, I was the primary caregiver for my husband's aunt for her last six years of her life before she died at age 89. And I learned a lot in the process of helping her make decisions and then transitioning her first to a senior living facility and later to assisted living. Mm. So that's um, 
personal experience yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Was that when you were here in the U.S. or was you, were you overseas yeah, still? Yeah, that was, that was here in the U.S. Okay. Like I said, 10 years ago. Yeah, okay. She died. Mm-hmm. Okay. So from being educated and having experience in talking to families to actually being in that yourself and knowing that you have to make some of the decisions that you're telling people they may have to make eventually. Definitely. And that's yeah. not necessarily things you learn in medical school either. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. I would absolutely imagine. So, Christina, I'm going to ask you a few questions. The first one I want to ask you is, as parents start to age and as their health starts to decline, what do you think are some important things that families need to start discussing? I would say the most important thing is to start having discussions. Okay. Because many times it's easier to avoid topics like getting older or starting to have more challenges or becoming more limited in their daily functioning. And it's helpful to acknowledge what's happening and start to discuss it with the, what the older person's goals are. Again, lots of times it's just easier not to even talk about it and just pretend it's not happening, but that's not really helpful. Mm. So again, what are their goals? What's important to them? What are they determined to stay in their house? Are they open to downsizing? What are their non-negotiables? What risks are they willing to take, for example, with staying in the house or other things like that? And also the other question is if they get to the point of not being able to make their own decisions anymore, who do do they want to make decisions for them? Um, What kind of interventions do they want to have? What do they never want to have done? Uh, And sometimes... It can be hard for a lay person to really know what the options are and what kind of decisions need to be made. So talking to your doctor, for example, could be a good thing. And if they don't know the answers, they could maybe point you to somebody that that knows these answers. Yeah. Okay. So how do you know when to start having those discussions? Because, you know, I've already had some of those discussions with my kids. I'm 65 at the time of this recording. On our next podcast, we have someone whose parents were quite elderly, over 100 and then their 90s. And you know how do you how do you know when to start having the conversations because what what i hear often is i waited too late i wish i would have had these sooner like while my parent was in a better state of mind or when the, when they were healthy and we could have it before all the emotions were involved does that make sense exactly and that was going to say exactly that i mean it is so much easier to make those decisions ahead of time and not in the crisis situation. Because that's when I see people in the ER usually uh, in a crisis situation. Then there is less time to make decisions, then emotions run high, and also the patients don't have as many more choices. For example, if you fall and break your hip, you know, go mm-hmm. to independent living is not an option lots of times, you mm-hmm. know. So I don't think you can ever start that discussion too early. Obviously, you know, with somebody in their 40s, you don't have to talk hours and days on that. <laughs> but, but yeah. you know, know anybody in their 60s 70s just at least start mentioning it just hey what do you think you know when you get older what do you think and and you know just touch on the topic and also it depends what the the functioning are if they are perfectly capable if they're still working a job and you know driving everywhere safely by themselves and do take care of everything some people in their 80s are very functioning and some people in their 60s can barely walk across the room you know so it's not nearly a really a biological age. It's just more their functioning level. And I don't think it's ever too early to start that discussion. Yeah. I think that's so good. I think it's important for our listeners to know that because I hear people who will say um, about their parents, oh my goodness, my parent wants to talk about funeral plans or my parent wants to talk about you know, dying and, and the, the child feels uncomfortable, but the parent feels totally comfortable. And because of it feeling 
uncomfortable, they don't go there. So exactly. Yeah. And that's what I mean. You need yeah. to have those discussions. Yeah. And some things you can pretend they're not happening, mm. uh, but it's not going to make them go yeah. away. And aging is part of life. And that's so if you, if you pretend it's not happening, it might feel better in the moment, but it's going to give you more trouble down oh, the road. I love that. That's so good. So good. Let's talk a little bit about palliative care and hospice. What's the difference? And then how do you know when it's time to engage palliative care or hospice? What are some guidelines maybe people could use? So maybe the definition, hospice is end-of-life care. So per definition to qualify for hospice, you should have a predicted life expectancy of six months or less, which doesn't mean doctors are not very good at actually predicting how long somebody's going to live. So Sometimes you think somebody's going to live just a few weeks and they live years and the other way around. So, but if there's a reasonable prediction that person isn't going to live more than six, six months, you qualify for hospice. And then the other qualifier is that the patient no longer receives treatment to cure the disease. For example, like chemo for cancer or something like okay. that but only treatment to make the patient feel better. So it doesn't mean no treatment, but no curative treatment. And what some people don't realize is that um, hospice doesn't just mean that you have cancer, but there's other diseases mm. too, like congestive heart failure, COBD, or even Parkinson's mm -hmm. with your mom that was declining. It doesn't have to be just the dying of cancer thing. I think some, some yeah. people think that. One of the huge benefits of hospice is that it really opens up a lot of resources for the patients usually, something that insurance and other payers pay for, and you might qualify to get nursing care at home, bath aid, a housework relief, you know, relief for caregivers, 24 access to a hospice nurse to ask questions. And most of the time, that's the biggest thing. You just have access to resources that you would not have otherwise. And you can do that either at home or in a care center or in a specialized facility. Mm -hmm. The palliative care is it can be part of hospice because the focus of palliative care is to treat the discomfort and the symptoms and the stress of a serious disease. But in contrast to hospice, you can still receive curative treatment. So if it's hospice, palliative care really is part of it as far as, you know, with symptom relief. But if you're still receiving treatment for whatever the condition is, you might still qualify for palliative care. Many larger hospitals or hospital systems have specialized palliative care doctors, specialized training. But technically, even a family physician can do part of what that means okay. as far as symptom relief. And on contrary, as far as hospice, it is really amazing that even in rural areas and smaller towns, there is usually access to some hospice service, mm -hmm. which is, is really amazing. Mm -hmm. Even in small towns and small town ERs, you can find access to hospice yeah. service. Yeah. I love that. And one of the things that I learned was, and again, you told me this, was call around, call different places. I think many people believe, uh, like, so we're recording this in Des Moines, Iowa, and I think a lot of people think there's certain hospice houses, like there's three different hospice houses, and those are your only choices. But what I learned is there are different services, different companies that provide hospice and pall palliative care. And so interview them, talk with them, find the right one, the one that works for you. And the other thing is we found that 
all of a sudden it wasn't just us four siblings having to take care of mom and figuring out everything. There was this team that came alongside of her. Exactly. And it was, yeah. it's a huge relief for people who are on, if you're caring for somebody in your home or, you know, going to visit them every single day, all of a sudden you have this team of people to be your advocates and to help make some of the hard decisions. And the support system. And like I said, just a 24-hour care that if you have a question and you're not sure, you don't just have yes. to drag them in the hospital in the middle of the night with an ambulance. You can always call first and there might be things that they can do. They can might be able to send a nurse out. They might give you advice over the mm -hmm. phone how to adjust the medications. And there's a lot of less, you know panic and dragging, yes. dragging the patient around to ERs for minor things and stuff like that. Huge. That was, that was so huge. And I think it's important for you listeners to remember that all of this, like it's helpful again, to have those conversations when it's time to call in, you, you say, I want to have a conversation about palliative care. What we did is we said to, to my mother, mom, this doesn't mean that, that you're going to die tomorrow. What this means is we love you and you, we want you to have quality of life and not have as much pain and go, you've said, I don't want to go in and out of the hospital anymore. And so she was involved in the decision and it was a, you know, I was the one who took the brave, you know, measure to say, I'm good. We're going to start this conversation. Somebody had to start it, yes. but then she was, she was involved in the decision-making. So Let's talk about this. What are some of the sorts of things that people need to have in place so that they're assured that their loved one is getting the right sort of care, the care that's really best for them according to their goals? One of the things is um, actually some things are more like paperwork. One be a medical power of attorney as paperwork essentially that states who would make decisions for you if you're unable to make those decisions. Again, that is the, if the patient is unable to do this. As long as the patient is awake and alert and can and make decisions, it's not like the family will decide for them. In the case that they're unconscious or you know, or in or confused or whatever situation is that they can't make decisions, who do you want to make decisions for mm -hmm. you. And there could be different reasons to pick one family member over somebody else. You might, for example, pick somebody who's got some ma basic medical knowledge, who's better to understand what the doctors might be explaining to you. You might want to pick somebody that has a similar value system, you know, that's Mm -hmm. thinks the same way about life. You know, there's in the family, there's different family members that have very different value systems. And who do you want to make to have decisions for you later? That's good. Uh, and then maybe somebody that lives close to you. You know, if, if your family members, kids are in different states and it's always easier if it is potentially possibly somebody that lives closer. So, you know, face-to-face mm -hmm. -face discussions are always easier with the medical staff. So a medical power of attorney would be very useful. Um, the other one is a living will, and that is something that states what what your preferences are. I mean, for example, if you your heart should stop, this essentially means you're dead. Do you want anybody to do CPR on you? You know, do you want them to throw that breathing tube in your throat and intubate you to mm -hmm. support your your breathing? You know. Uh, do you want to be, if you're unconscious and can't eat anymore, you want a feeding tube, you want artificial, 
you know, nutrition, nutrition to Mm -hmm. kind of prolong your life that way. And so those are kind of important questions to to make. And uh, since we're talking Iowa, I think I told you about that too. There's a document that's called an iPost that you can just actually download from the internet and you fill that out. Your doctor is really supposed to co-sign it, but you don't even have to go to a lawyer and, and, you know, pay lawyer fees or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And ideally that document is a one-page thing that's supposed to stay on your fridge so if you had an emergency and ems shows up at your door they should be looking for that and they know you know if you want cpr or if you Mm -hmm. want this or that so So i i keep mine in my bible i need to put it in my refrigerator (laughs) or you can make a copy (laughs) right you know have one on the let people know yeah where those are at that that that's one thing too so if if your let's say your parent goes to the hospital and you have a living will it would be noted in your chart these things would be noted in your chart or you take them, you let your family members know, and then you talk with your loved one to say, has anything changed on this mom or dad or? Well, if you, if you're in the same hospital system, you know, and so many times there's like bigger system. So even if you go to a different doctor's office or different hospital, uh-huh. if they're in the same system, they can get scanned into that system and technically be on file. Okay. Yes. I mean, and of course you can change at any time. Yeah. That is, that is really helpful. We just got a couple minutes left here. Is there anything else that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know? Or do you feel like... I yeah. really just want to go back to what I said in the beginning is just have that discussion. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't avoid it just because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Because you pay for it down the road. Yeah. Just start, start that discussion. It doesn't have to be, you know, oh, you're going to die, you know. Yeah. It's just... It's really part of life. And, and like I said, by avoiding it, we're not going to make it go away. We're just going to make it more painful down the right, road. Right, right. And, you know, I have found that it's easier to have it like, so for example, we've had those discussions with our kids and we can almost be lighthearted about it right now. And yet I will say, I'm saying this, I might be kind of teasing, but like, I'm serious. I'm serious. This mm-hmm. is what, this is what I want. And just so you all know, this is where this form is and, you know, my husband has said the same thing. So I think that's that's a really, really good takeaway. We have a tendency to procrastinate and then all of a sudden it's it's too late. Christina, this has been so helpful. We may want to have some other discussions with you down the road about some other topics. Sure. Uh, it's great to have someone who loves Jesus and follows the Lord, but also is in the medical world and in our, um, you know, in our church and from those who are listening who don't even go here. Um, we think this is really important information. So thanks for being our guest. Sure. You're Appreciate welcome. it a lot. To those of you who are listening, I hope that this episode has been helpful and we're going to post in the, in the show notes about that form. Maybe we can also post a little more about how to do a living will. Uh, if you have any further questions or you'd just like to discuss this topic further, reach out to us. We can reach out back to you. You can click the link in the podcast show notes and we'd be happy to get in touch with you. And I've also included a couple of other resources. One of them is a book that both Christine and I read, and um, it's called Being Mortal, and we think that you might enjoy that too. It's a valuable resource, a valuable book that I know that both of us have recommended to a lot of different people. And it's an easy read. It's not like a put-you-to-sleep medical. Heady, yes. Yeah, it's stories essentially, but it's very thought-provoking and very, very good. I love that you said that. Yep. So I hope you'll join us for the next episode in the series. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Hope to have you with us again. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you are interested in finding ways to live out your faith, why not head to our church website, ridgelife.org. There, you'll find opportunities to serve in the church and in our local community. You'll also discover ways to get involved in community groups. One of the best ways to find support and encouragement as you seek to live out what you're learning from the Bible. Head to ridgelife.org for more details.